Tonight's scripture is Exodus 16, verses 9 through 12. And God's word says this. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness. And behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Uh, Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you that you meet us in our grumbling. That, Lord, you do not flinch as you enter with your glory into our mess, into our bad attitudes, any complaints we have, any grumbling we may utter. God, you still meet with us. You incline your ear to hear us and our cries for help because you're a good God. So we praise you for your goodness and your glory. And we're asking you now, as we meet, that, Lord God, you would meet with us, that your manifest presence would be known and felt in this place as we look to worship you and hear from you, that you would teach our hearts. So, God, would you continue to be with us in our worship, and uh, may you receive all the honor, all the glory, and the praise. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, How are you when it comes to complaining? This is a recent area of growth for me. Uh, For instance, uh, for Lent, I gave up complaining about food. And you may say, Pastor Cross, you brag on Anna's food all the time. What could you possibly have to complain about? And to that, I would say yes and amen, but there was a moment at the beginning of the year, you guys that uh, I want to tell you about, but I don't want to tell you about it uh, myself. I actually uh, want to tell you about it from the perspective of my wife. She said this. Normally, breakfast for Andrew consists of cheesy eggs, bacon, and fresh fruit, or perhaps a fluffy biscuit, sausage, and gravy. But with the start of the new year, I attempted to provide a wholesome breakfast that excluded processed foods, refined sugars, and high fats. So for breakfast, I served him a bowl of hearty oatmeal (laughs) consisting of whole grain oats, honey, chia seeds, banana, and peanut butter. This bowl, this brown bowl of mush was met with a confused frown. His disappointment was obvious. He barely ate two bites and fussed a good bit. I added in some dark chocolate, and he ate a few bites more. (laughs) Needless to say, this new oatmeal did not meet expectations. Uh, Words she used to describe me were confused, disappointed, disgusted, grudging, and close-minded. And we could use some of those same words to describe how Habakkuk is feeling in chapter one of the same book 
uh, the, the book that shares his same name. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn in them to Habakkuk. Um, before we dive into the text, I need to give you some of the context. Uh, Habakkuk was written uh, 600 years before Christ came on the scene. Um, it was during a time in Israel's history where the kingdom was split. Uh, there was a wicked king in power, which subsequently meant that the most of the people were wicked, uh, and <clears throat> their enemies were multiplying around them. Uh, there was one enemy in particular who was threatening to conquer them, and they are called the Chaldeans, but we know them better as Babylon. My goal tonight is to show you how something that was written 2,600 years ago can apply to your life today. This book was originally written in Hebrew and has been translated to English so that we can engage in a conversation that's going on between a prophet and God. The book has three sections that we'll cover over the course of the next three weeks, and they can kind of be outlined in this way. Uh, so we're looking at Habakkuk chapter one tonight, and we can kind of call this uh, the prophet's burden. Uh, that's what we're looking at tonight. Uh, and then Habakkuk two, we will look at the prophet's vision, uh, the vision that God gives the prophet, uh, and he writes it down. And then Habakkuk three is the prophet's prayer. Um, how he responds to this vision that God has given him. Uh, so that's kind of where we're going over the course of the next three weeks. I hope you'll join us for all three of the weeks as we look into Habakkuk. Um, we have burden, vision, and prayer. That's our overall outline for this series. But tonight's sermon is entitled, When We Worry, We Will Wonder. When we worry, we will wonder. Let me pray for you. Gracious Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts now. Help this text come alive to us today, that we would see why your Holy Spirit inspired a prophet so long ago to write what he wrote, that even we would be able to apply it to our lives and be helped by it. Help us in the complaining of our own lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. When we worry, we will wonder, and we will wonder a few questions as we'll navigate this text. Uh, the first question, when we worry, we will wonder, does God hear me? Does God hear me? And we see this in verses 1 and 2 of Habakkuk chapter 1. God's word says this, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, O Lord, Yahweh, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save? This passage is labeled in most Bibles as Habakkuk's complaint. Uh, we are helped by two indicators that this is a complaint from the prophet of the Lord. The first is the use of the word oracle, uh, which was also a common word for burden, uh, that he has this burden that's inside of him that he has to, he has to find a way to, to get it out. Um, and, and so we're helped by that word, especially when it comes to a prophet of God and that word burden being used. It was as if the, the, the prophet has a message that he, it, it's a burdening him until he announces it. 
Um, and so we're clued in that way. Another indicator is that phrase, oh Lord, how long? Uh, that has a history in God's people all throughout the Psalms. We see that that is a way that they issue a formal complaint uh, to the Lord. How long, oh Lord? Oh Lord, how long? And so we see that this is a complaint from uh, God's prophet. And this is how I know that this text has something to teach us today, is that we complain. We all complain. In fact, we live in a day and age where complain, we complain without ceasing, if we're honest. And so this text has something to say of how we deal with those complaints, evaluate them, wrestle with them. How do we take them to God? And what does he have to say about them? Um, so as I was preparing for this sermon and I was kind of wrestling with this myself, I came up with a helpful visual aid. Uh, I, it may be helpful to you, it may not. You may have a way in which you think through this that's a little bit more beneficial for where you're at. But in terms of what I was trying to kind of figure out for myself is uh, I kind of created a complaining chart. <laughs> and it's using words that we use in English um, and kind of the, the, the probability that those words would be sin or, or lead to sin. Um, so we see that word complaining there right there in the middle. I, you know, I don't know that complaining is automatically sin. I, in fact, I don't think it is. I think we're seeing with Habakkuk an example of how a complaining can be all right. But it can definitely venture off into sin. And in fact, we, we know the people of God were described in the wilderness as grumbling that they made a pattern of complaining over and over. And in fact, that complaining was a little bit worse in that they were like, man, we would have been better back in Egypt than being here, depending on God. And so that's why I kind of have that as 99%. And I had Alex read that passage from Exodus 16 to encourage us that Exodus chapter 16 is the first reference to the Shekinah glory of God meeting with his people in the midst of their grumbling. How wonderful our God is. Not to condone their grumbling, but to meet with them in spite of it, to hear them and to do something about it. I can't say that that's 100% sin and grumbling. I just don't know. But I can tell you this, some of that grumbling led to something that is all out 100% sin, and that's rebellion, right? We saw people rebel against God and the leadership that he had established in the wilderness, and we saw them rightfully judged in that rebellion. But then you get these words that we use today like venting. That's not in the Bible, right? Now, I can maybe pick out some examples where I think that it might be what we understand venting to be. You know, venting is this word we picture a vent giving off exhaust uh, from something that's building up inside. And we would think about that in our own lives of, man, my boss is making us stay late so that we can have to do this project before it's due. Okay, well, that doesn't make him a bad boss. You're just exhausted from this more work than usual. Now, if somebody overhears you and, and assumes you're talking bad about the boss, okay, now we've ventured off into something different, haven't we? But I don't think it's automatically sin. I think it's, it's lower than maybe complaining even. And then my phrase that I like to use is, I'm noting some concerns. <laughs> uh, that, I like to think that's pretty clean, right? Uh, it's still saying something negative with emotion attached, as all these are, but there's a, there's a different dynamic. There's love 
attached to it. Like, hey, I'm for you. I'm in your corner. There's a relationship here. But I just want to note some concerns I have about what you're doing, right? Not necessarily sin. Could it be sin? Yeah, especially if I'm using that phrase to cover it up, but I don't think it's automatically sin. So maybe that's helpful to you. Maybe it's not. Um, I know that that helped me to kind of think about it in that way, that as you gradually move down that, uh, that line is higher probability of that being sin. Uh, not to be mistaken with how much of it is sin. Uh, if it is sin, it is sin entirely. <laughs> um, and so don't be confused in that way. Um, I hope that is helpful to you. But uh, something I do know that will be helpful to you is three quick truths about complaining. Uh, this is something we can understand uh, from God's word. Uh, three quick truths. These aren't our main uh, points, but they are helpful uh, diving into this text. Not every complaint you make is automatically sin. I think we're going to see that with Habakkuk. Every complaint you make has theological implications. What does that mean? Jesus has something to say about every complaint you utter. God is not threatened by your complaints. Praise God. He meets with you in them. And I think we see that with the grumbling of God's people and how the Shekinah glory was present with them. So let's move on to Habakkuk's complaint. Let's look at verses three and four. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Habakkuk's complaint is also a lament. He, he sees God's people aren't doing well. And he believes at some level, God is letting sin go unpunished. And his assumption is that there is no justice. I interpret this complaint to be focused on those in leadership of God's people that uh, has had a negative influence on the people at large. Regardless, he is complaining to God about something God has control over. And he's worried. He's worried about the direction the nation is headed. And he wonders, does God hear me? It isn't wrong to wonder if God hears you. That is a recurring struggle in the history of God's people. All three of our points tonight are questions we ask and we wonder when we're prone to worry about the circumstances around us. And so with each of these questions and, and thoughts that we wonder, I want to give you a rich theological truth with each one to direct our thoughts as we wonder. So when we worry, we will wonder, does God hear me? And the corresponding rich theological truth we have to hold as we venture through this thought, is that God responds to the cries of his people. God responds to the cries of his people. He has all throughout the history of God's people. He may seem silent in the moment, but he hears and he responds to your cries for help. That is who our God is. When your greatest complaint was your own sin and rebellion. He leaned in. 
he heard your cries for help. And he gave you deliverance, salvation. He rescued you. If he has done that with your greatest sin and rebellion, your greatest complaint, why wouldn't he listen to any other complaints you have after you've been saved? But that invites a whole nother question, doesn't it? Why do I have complaints after I've been saved? That's a good question. Why do you have complaints after God has saved you? He has saved you from eternal separation from him and all that is good. He has saved you from that. What do any of us have to complain about? Why do I have complaints after I've been saved? Maybe we shouldn't, but we do. We do, don't we? And that may be because we're still living in a broken world with broken bodies. And some of our complaints are lessons we need to learn and heart issues we need to work through. How long, O oh Lord? If I can give you a model for how to offer up a complaint to your holy God, let's join in with the psalmist. Let's join in with Habakkuk. How long, O oh Lord, will I be single? How long, O oh Lord, will I be sick? How long, O oh Lord, will I be stuck in this dead-end job? How long, O oh Lord, will I be scared to go on a mission trip or share the gospel? How long, O oh Lord, will I be spiritually dead? These are complaints you can take to the Lord knowing that he inclines his ear to hear your words, to feel your emotions, to meet with you, to grow you through them. When we worry, we will wonder. A second question we will wonder, does God care about what's happening? Does God care about what's happening? Let's look at verses five through 11. This is Lord's, the Lord's answer to Habakkuk's first complaint. He says, look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. 
They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings, they scoff. At rulers, they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. We see the Lord respond to Habakkuk's complaint. But it was not what Habakkuk wanted to hear. God is raising up a powerful nation to exact judgment on his own nation for their acts of sin and rebellion. He commands his prophet, look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. And that is where we get our sermon title tonight. When we worry, we will wonder. It is true that we will naturally wonder when we worry. Uh, you see, worry is, uh, is a sinful thought response to uh, anxiety, uh, that a feeling about a threat that is encroaching upon us. And so in the midst of that worry, we would want to uh, think through things. And that's kind of venturing off into wonder, something naturally that we would do. That's why you get some of these questions is, does God care about what's happening around you? But he also commands Habakkuk to wonder. God wants us to wonder and think the right thoughts of him and about him in the midst of our circumstances. And that's what we call theology the study of God. In fact, this whole chapter is a theological conversation between God's prophet and God himself. It's a reminder that the best theological conversations are between you and God. Just like the disciples on the road to Emmaus get to talk with Jesus about where he is in the Old Testament. It's theology. Theological conversations are good for God's people. They aren't just for pastors and seminary students. They are for all of God's people. And to give you some examples, I've loved having theological conversations with you. I remember being outside the Houston airport on a trip heading to Honduras, and it was an unexpected night that we were going to spend in Houston. So Amanda McDowell and I were uh, right outside the airport waiting on a taxi to take us all to the hotel, and we just strike up a conversation about the unforgivable sin, you know, just common stuff. Think about uh, another trip to Charlotte, uh, North Carolina, to help with Keith and Don Moore at Impacto Charlotte. Uh, I don't remember if you remember Chad, but his parents, uh, we took his trip, and in the van, we were just talking, having great conversations, people like Audrey Penner and Jason Gadagala talking about baptism and Lord's Supper. Think about Jay Mullins, uh, lunch at Nukes, talking about the nature of God's love and the gifts that God gives his church. Think about Joel Beretta, Nazi Way, getting to lead discipleship groups with those guys, having deep theological conversations, not because it's a hobby, because it's good for us. It's good to think deeply about who God is and what he's done for us and what he com how he commands us to live. These are good things, and, and they prepare us. They prepare us for the troubles that come. But when we think through things 
deeply about our God, when our circumstances change, we still have those thoughts to come back to that are sourced by God's word. So in that moment, when we worry, we will wonder, does God care about what's happening? And the the corresponding rich theological truth that we can recall in that moment is that God is everlasting and he has a plan. God is everlasting and he has a plan. Isn't that what we see Habakkuk do when God tells him Babylon is going to come and wreak havoc on Judah? He says, these horses are fierce, like leopards. The horsemen are like eagles. They're going to swiftly come and conquer you. These guilty men are coming your way. And so how does Habakkuk respond to this? Well, let's look at verse 12. Habakkuk's response. Are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. Habakkuk is able to process this shocking news concerning Babylon by bringing the conversation back to who God is for him personally. My God, my Holy One. I love that. Something that separates Habakkuk from all the other prophets Most of the prophets spoke on behalf of God to a nation, not Habakkuk. Habakkuk speaks on behalf of a nation to his God. Something very different about Habakkuk than all the other prophets. God, God was his God. Oh Lord, my God, my Holy One, you are everlasting and you have a plan. We shall not die. You are using them to judge sin. You are a rock that will reprove us, so shape us up. It's a good good response. But in thinking true thoughts of God, those thoughts lead to other questions, don't they? Which brings us to the third question. When we worry, we will wonder, is God going to do anything about evil? Is God going to do anything about evil? We see this in verses 13 through 17. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He, that is Babylon, brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? Habakkuk issues a second complaint. 
to the Lord. It isn't quite accusation, but it comes awfully close. Rather, it is another lament over what God has said will take place. Quite simply, Habakkuk is wondering, why would God, a holy God, use a wicked nation to judge a less wicked nation? Why would he use Babylon to judge Judah? He says, you who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? This is a classic dilemma in the minds of God's people. How can an all-powerful God allow sin to go unchecked? Shouldn't God's holiness prevent him from using a corrupt nation like Babylon? When we worry, we will wonder, is God doing anything about evil? And the corresponding rich theological truth we can recall in that moment is, God hates and judges all sin and evil. God hates and judges all sin and evil. Habakkuk is right in that God is holy and there is no evil in him. Yet God is also sovereign over evil. And he uses it for his purposes as he is pleased to do so. And eventually he will judge every bit of evil that has existed in this world. You and I will have to give an account for every sin we've ever committed every transgression, every iniquity, everything we didn't do that we were supposed to, we will all have to give an account on the day of judgment. Even the sin that you did to somebody that God used to grow that person, you will have to give an account for. On the day of judgment, it'll go like this. We'll all kneel before the Lord Jesus And he will, I don't know if it'll be a straight line, if just a mass of people, but he'll begin sifting through us, separating us one side on the other. And depending on our place in Christ, whether or not you have repented of your sins and believed savingly upon the gospel, Jesus will put you on one side or the other. And to one side, he will say, depart from me, I never knew you and you'll be banished to an eternity apart from him and all that is good. And to the others, he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And we will spend an eternity with him in all of his glory, majesty, and splendor. But even after they are banished, there's still a little bit of testing that we have to go through that we will have to give an account for every single sin that we committed on this earth. Why? Because God hates and judges all sin and evil. And he is just. After Habakkuk has voiced his second complaint, he says in chapter 2, verse 1, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower 
and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. I've said what I said, and now I'll watch and see. I was worried, and God led me to wonder true things about him. I'm still confused and uncertain how this will all come about, but I know the Lord will respond. You may wonder, does God hear me? Does God care about what's happening? Is he going to do anything about evil? And I would just remind you of these rich truths of God. God responds to the cries of his people. God is everlasting and he has a plan. And God hates and judges all sin and evil. That brings us to our main idea for tonight. If I could offer anything for you to take away from this whole chapter of God's word, it would be this. When you are deeply burdened, you are encouraged to take those burdens to the Lord by recounting big truths about him in conversation with him. I think that's what Habakkuk is showing us. In fact, I think the only thing that keeps this chapter, this com- these complaints from being sin is that they purely happen between Habakkuk and God. If it had been any person, I think it would have been sin. You're encouraged to take whatever it is that is burdening you. Take it to the Lord. Recount big truths from his word about him and talk to him. Talk to him. There is one who draws near to us in our worrisome wonder. He inclines his ear to hear out our complaints and meets with us in all his glory. His name is Jesus. Do you know him? Do you know him? Do you meet with him? There is no tone you could take. There is no complaint you could raise that would threaten him. He loves you. He listens to you and he works for your good. He has proved this to you in his own death, burial, and resurrection. Look, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. He is doing a work in our day that we wouldn't believe if he told us. When you are tempted to worry, direct your thoughts toward wonder instead. Consider what the Lord has done for us in the gospel and what he might be doing in our lifetime. And talk to him about it. The Lord Jesus is one who hears us and meets with us to grow us. What a wonderful counselor 